So uh, we have been in this sermon series uh, we're calling uh, Suffering. Uh, everybody's doing it. Um, and can we hit the next slide? My thing's not quite talking. You know, shut it off and turn it on. Um, and, and so uh, we're going to have two more Sundays of this, and then we're going to move on. But I, I want to talk about something today that, um, well, I just in some sense, this is going to be a boring sermon, because I got to talk about something that in some ways is boring, but is really, really important. Uh, so hold on. Let's do a quick review. We started out the first Sunday talking about everybody suffers, okay? We are all in this together. Look around the room. Everybody suffers, unless they're really, really little, and other than that, everybody suffers in some way. We suffer in different ways. Uh, we, we suffer at different intensity levels. We have uh, stages in our life when we suffer more than others, uh, but, but everybody, sooner or later, everybody will suffer. It is the human condition. Even God suffered in Jesus Christ, amen? And, and, you know, he talks about we have this great high priest that's been touched by our suffering, you know. And so that, that's the good news. Everybody suffers and God is with us and we are with one another. And then we talked uh, a couple weeks ago about suffering changes us. Uh, no matter who you are, if you suffer enough, you will come out of that suffering a different person that you went in. And, and you can decide whether that suffering makes you a better person and more like Christ or whether that suffering makes you less like Christ and more bitter and more angry. You, ha you have a choice in, in all of that. And, and so we kind of said to you then uh, what I think is in some ways the most important question of this whole series, and that, that is this, uh, how is more important than why? When we suffer, we tend to get hung up on the why question. Why is this happening to me? As if we could somehow control it if we could understand it. And the truth of the matter is we can't control suffering. It happens. And so how we are going to suffer is what matters. And Christ offers a safe harbor and transformation that, that in the process of suffering, when we submit to him, he will bring the gold out in our life in that difficult time. Uh, and he will use us to bring hope to others. And then last week we talked specifically about about that bringing hope part, how God can use our suffering uh, to reduce the suffering of others. And, and one of the things I said to you was that your suffering is the key that unlocks the door to reducing someone else's suffering. Because you have suffered in a particular way, uh, you will be able to uh, connect with other people. So today, uh, when people find out that I've, I have cancer, they, they'll come up and they'll talk to me about it in a way they never did before because they look at me and they go, he gets it. Okay? You know, he gets it. I don't get a lot of other kinds of things, but I get the suffering. I get chemo. I get the doctor visits. I get the embarrassing hospital gowns. I, I get it. Okay? I, I, I get it. And so that unlocks the door. And so um, your suffering can be used for that. And then uh, and the sideways grace, that, that your suffering can help others who are suffering with the same sorts of things that you are. And then we talked about that when we are weak and suffering makes us weak, that then God's strength is activated in us which is why we can minister to others. So what a great thing our God does for us. So this morning, I want to kind of start with, with this idea. Um, suffering hurts and leaves wounds. Amen? It hurts and it leaves wounds. And, and sometimes, you know, depending on how bad the suffering is and what it is, we can heal from those fairly quickly. We're a resilient kind of people. Uh, but deep hurts and deep wounds do not heal quickly. And, and some of them you will never get over entirely. Some of them just leave you changed forever. If you've lost a loved one, you know that, it, that it's never the same again. There's a, a deep, deep thing there that you just can't quite let go of in, in the midst of all of that. And, 
I didn't really quite remember uh, this, and, and this was not my original illustration, but this morning when I, I, uh, I came in, I come in early, uh, and I kind of set up my computer, and I kind of look at Facebook, and I look at the ads and that kind of thing, and up came a Facebook post from my brother-in-law that I, I really was not prepared for, because it was a picture of my sister's gravestone with the names and dates of the three children they lost while they were married. And there was my sister and her three kids. And I found myself crying first thing in the morning, going, Lord, this is not a good time. I'll never get over that. I, it, it, my life has moved on, you know, and, and, I, and I'm doing good, and, and I love my sister, and I know I'm going to see her again and all of that, but there will forever be a place in my heart that's broken, that's missing, because my sister's not here. And, and my expectations about what it would be have been, been lost. There's a, a grieving place in my heart. Because I, I'm just going to be real transparent with you. Uh, my sister and I when, I, when I went away to college, I hardly ever came back. And, and I ended up living in Kansas City, and she lived in California. And our lives just didn't mesh, and we, just, we hardly ever got to, to see each other. It wasn't that we didn't care about each other, but, but we just were far away. And always in the back of my mind was this idea that one day, one day the kids will be out of the house. And I was going to call Valerie up and say, let's take vacations together so we can reconnect. And that was kind of my whole hope. And honestly, that was kind of my justification for the fact that we didn't do it sooner. But the Lord took her home, and that will never, ever happen. And there's a part of me that regrets that to this day. There are some wounds and suffering that simply will not heal completely. But God gives us some direction in the midst of this. We live in a world that's filled with, with trauma. You, you all know the word trauma? You know, it started out with, with our soldiers when they were coming back and they had, been, they had been so wounded by what they saw and what they experienced and what they did that we developed this thing called post-traumatic stress disorder, right? You've all heard of that? And now we know that it goes further than that, that when we experience these big wounds, that all kinds of people experience it in, in all kinds of ways. If you're in a car accident, sometimes that'll leave a, a wound. Or when traumatic things happen to you, there, there are wounds on the inside that you can't see on the outside. And in fact, in some ways, the wounds on the inside are the most damaging and the most difficult, in large part because you can't see them on the outside. And people want to say, what's wrong with you? Get better. Why, why don't you, you know, and, and so, and this is really hard for us in Western culture, okay? I know, I'm really picking, I told you this would be a boring sermon, so. In Western culture, those of us kind of Northern European especially, you know, I, I, I'm Irish and, and English, you know, we were taught to be Stoic. We were in, influenced by Stoicism, which is like, it don't hurt, you know, I can handle it, I'm tough, I don't cry. You know, if you're a real man, there's just maybe one little tear and then, and then you know, you're, you're, you're better, you know. Get over it. You know, you go for the weekend for the funeral and back to work on Monday. Anyone resonate with this, you know? That's just kind of the, the Western world it is. And, and we don't want to do it for very long. In fact, one of the sad parts of my job is the people who are, are grieving big losses. And, you know, after a month, somebody says to them, you need to get over it. I'm never getting over the loss of my sister. I'm never getting over. I'm never getting over the loss of my dad. I, I'm never getting over the loss of my mom. I, I carry those with me. They form me in who I am, but I'm never getting over it. But, but in our culture, in Western culture, we tend to think that grieving should be, here's the word, private. That is not the way the Bible talks about it. 
That is just not the way the Bible talks about it. And, and so this morning, I, I want to kind of deal with this a, a little bit. Um, and, and in fact, there's some really cool stuff about how the Bible talks about when we suffer, how, how we are to relate to that, how we are to grieve through that, how we are to, to mourn uh, in, in the midst of all of this. And so um, here, here's what I know. Concerning suffering, pain, grief, and shame, the Bible teaches us to lament. Say, lament. No, 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 no. You just, it's, it's, it's a really rich word. Lament. There you go. Isn't that a good word? Lament, you know. Well, what do you think of when you think of lament? Just laminate. <laughs> no. <laughs> Anguish. Ooh, that's a good word. Distress. Wailing, yes. What else? I heard another one. What? Sorrow, yes. Yeah, those are, those are all, all really good words. Uh, how many of you used the word lament in the last month? Last year? Your lifetime? Other than reading it out of screen. You know, we just don't use that word very, very much. And so uh, the interesting sort of thing uh, about uh, the lament is that the Bible talks about it a lot. And it's kind of the word, that, that the overarching word that's used in the Bible for this idea of, of mourning and suffering and, and, and grief. And that, in fact, a third of the Psalms are, are about suffering and grief and pain uh, and, and lamenting. And so just to give us a thumbnail kind of definition uh, this morning, uh, lament, uh, there we go, lament is to cry out to God in sorrow and grief, to cry out to God. What do you think about when I say cry out? What? Godly crying, yeah. I, I think about loud, okay? Maybe that's just because I'm a loud person, you know? But I think about loud, and that, that's actually what, what's contained in this idea. And, and you guys, although you are, for the most part, uh, Westerners and you kind of contain your grief, you do have had, you have had some experience with this, okay? So my first experience with lament, lament, with loud crying out to God, happened when I was a teenager. And, and I was uh, at a guy that's like a, a second father to me, uh, John Fillmore's um, roof, and we were, we were re-roofing his house. And so uh, this was back in the days when you had roofing hammers. You remember roofing hammers? And, and uh, this was my first time doing a roof, so I was kind of long, and we were nailing stuff down. And I, I put that thing down there, and I backed up because I'd been doing really good, and I nailed my thumb. <laughs> and I lamented. <laughs> I said, ah! How many of you have lamented over a thumb and nail and, yeah, yeah we've, we've lamented. And in fact, some of you even have cried out to God, although I'm not sure that's exactly what you thought you were doing when you used his name, but you were, yeah, we'll just leave it at that, so. And, and so, that, that, that's the, actually the, kind of the idea of lament. It is that, that the pain is so bad, and it goes to, to internal pain, that, that you can't help but just cry out to God. And so, listen to this. In the ancient world, when they, when they were lamenting, when they were sorrowing, when they were mourning, here's some of the things they would do. They would tear their clothes. Anyone ever tore their clothes at a funeral? You know, good, I've never seen that done. <laughs> you know, um, that would change things. They would wail, okay? They would wear sackcloth. Can you imagine if the funeral uh, garb you were supposed to wear was sackcloth? We would have shorter funerals because that stuff is itchy. You know, it's like, that's like wearing, you know, burlap bag kind of a thing. They, they would take ashes and, and put them in their hair and sprinkle them all over them. They would wear black garments. Some people still do that today. They would remove all the decorations. They would neglect self-care. 
Can you imagine if you had to go three months without washing? You know? I mean, it'd make it really easy to know who was mourning in society. You'd walk by and go, oh yeah, they must be kind of in sorrow or some sort, you know? They didn't take care of themselves, you know? Okay? They would fast. They would shave their head. Seems like a good idea. And pluck out their beard. Not so much. They covered up their lips or their lower part of their face. They would cut their flesh, although God prohibited that later on. They would beat their bodies. They would hire mourners. They would sit in silence. And so this idea of crying out to God was big and demonstrative and loud. Yeah, you all are Westerners. You're like, I ain't doing that, preacher. <laughs> nope, not going to. You would be healthier if you did. In fact, you would be spiritually healthier if you did. Get this. Mourning, grieving, lamenting is something that God blesses. God blesses that. So it's hard for us to see that connection between mourning and blessing, isn't it? Because I don't think of those two together. I think when I have to mourn is, is more in the curse category or the hardship category or, or, or the difficult category for, for us. But, but look at this. Uh, Matthew 5, 4 said, and this is our verse this morning, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let's say this together. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And this, this is, I, all my life growing up, I've read this thing and thought, that is the strangest verse ever. That just does not seem like those two things go together. There are plenty of stuff in Scripture that confused me, but this is one of those that's like, this is really strange because the word for blessed here really means the idea of goodness or favor. You know, hey, God has favored you. You get to mourn. Yay. You know, and that's just not the way we think about it. Um, but here's what actually this means. It's this idea that we talk about in English that God always brings good out of bad. You are blessed. Not, not because you are suffering, but because in those moments, God can work in ways in your lives and other lives that he can't work in any other way, any other time in your life. You are blessed. God will bring a blessing out of, of your suffering. He did not cause your suffering, but he will redeem it in, in so many ways. And then the last, that, that word mourn, do you notice they just assume that people are going to mourn? It's, it's just an assumption that, that, that if, if you live in this world, at some point you will find mourning. You will experience it in some way, shape, or, 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 or form. And so... This is, this is the human experience. This, you, are, you are not special because you are suffering. Actually, that's kind of good news. God is not picking on you because something bad has happened to you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In fact, not only do we mourn, but it goes on to say this. Not only does God bless mourning, Jesus mourned. I mean, we, we sometimes think of Jesus as this guy that had it together all the time, but, that, but he had times when it was just so hard. You all remember John eleven thirty five, 35, where it says, Jesus wept, right? A after his friend Lazarus had died, and I know some preachers and exegetes want to kind of try and fix that and make it so it's not what it is, but, but, but what it is is that, that Jesus had run up for the first time in some ways uh, as, as an adult into a good friend who had passed away. And in addition to that, we know that probably Jesus lost his father as a teenager somewhere. Because at 12, 
Joseph was there, but at 30, 30, he wasn't there anymore. And so probably somewhere in there, Joseph passed away. And so he experienced the grief from that. And then Lazarus dies, and that brings all that, that back up again, that, that his friend had experienced death, and he knew he would one day experience death. And in Luke 19, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. He, he mourns for them. And in the garden, Jesus asked the Father to avoid the cross. In fact, he, he, he mourns so greatly that it has a huge impact on him. And we don't got, don't, don't got, yeah, tell I went to school, don't have the uh, particulars of, of what happened while he, was while he was praying, but we know he prayed all night. You know, we think we're doing really good if we get to 30 minutes. If we get to 45 minutes of prayer, man, we are a saint, you know. Jesus, Jesus prayed all night long, and it records in one of, the, the, one of them that he sweat drops of blood. And my parents were medical. My dad was always really interested in that because most doctors will tell you, well, you, you really can't do that. And so my dad just kind of did some research into it and found some research that said, actually, if you get under enough stress, you actually can start to ooze blood out of your skin. And so you, we get this image of just how much pressure Jesus was under, how much mourning, how much suffering, how, how much grieving was going on in, in, in his life in that place. And so Jesus mourned. Jesus didn't just experience pain and go, I'm tough, I got it all together. He mourned, he, he struggled with all of that. And Isaiah knew that ahead of time. In fact, Isaiah uh, said, oops, let's back up here. I, uh, this is those, huh? Isaiah, he was despised and rejected by, and that's supposed to say men, I missed that. Uh, a man of sorrow and acquainted with, read the word, grief. He was acquainted with, he, 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 and the word here isn't just he kind of experienced it once, right? They were on a first name basis, right? Grief and Jesus. And some of you are on a first name basis with grief and mourning and suffering. And, and so this whole idea is that, that, that we are supposed to mourn. <laughs> that was awkward. Okay, let's try this again. We are supposed to mourn. You are supposed to grieve when these things happen to us. It's a, it's a part of our life. It's, it, it's, in fact, there's a whole book in the Bible dedicated to this. Anyone know what the name of it is? Lamentations, yeah. It, it's the idea of grief and, and, and suffering. So I, I just, I, let me say it this way. Um, failure to lament, grieve, or mourn makes us spiritually unhealthy. It's not just an emotional problem. It's actually a spiritual problem. In fact, I believe that this is another one of those areas where science is just now catching up to what God has been saying for a long time. So if you go talk to a therapist, they will tell you it is not good to not let those feelings out, to not talk about it, to not take care of it. And in fact, if you stuff it down, then eventually it'll come back years later and then you go talk to a therapist and pay a lot of money. That it's healthy to grieve that it's healthy to, to get, get that out. And, um, because when we, when we push it down, it has a tendency to, to go bad on us, to putrefy, to, to smell bad, to become sick, and it festers in there. And then it starts to come out in some other ways. It comes back later and disrupts our lives, or, or we start acting out, or, or people that are dealing with, with addictions that are driven by things that happened to them a long time ago. And, and, and so God tells us to do this because it is good for our emotional life. It is good for our, our spiritual life. And then ultimately, it robs us of our intimacy with God. And I, I've seen this 
so many times where something that happened in their life that they never really quite worked through and years later they're like I just I don't feel like I can connect with God I don't I don't know what's wrong and I can't you know and everybody else and this and you kind of dig into it and you find out there was something a long time ago where they were going God why weren't you there God God why didn't you God I, I don't think you did a very good job of being God back then and it breaks that, that sort of thing. And so we begin to give God the silent treatment. Any of y'all know what the silent treatment is? Do not look at your spouse. Okay? Yeah. The silent treatment is when, you know, it's not quite, and you haven't quite worked it out in, in all that. And, and so it breaks down our relationship. We become mad at God. And, and sometimes you've pushed it so far away, you've even forgotten why you are. But it, but it damages that relationship. And so lament and, and mourning and working through that stuff is a part of our spiritual life. Um, in fact, lament, mourning, grief, tears are a pressure valve on our spiritual lives. Isn't God cool? He knew that you could not bear the weight of the world. You're not God. You were never designed for that. He knew that because you live in a fallen, broken world that you were going to face suffering and sorrow and difficulty and grief. And so when it gets pushed down far enough and the pressure gets big enough, he gives you this pressure valve called lament to, to let it out, to let God have it. And you, you experienced this, this already. I, um, I, I, grew up, I grew up with this. I, I wish you could have all met my mom. Uh, one of the characteristics about my mom was that she was a crier. Anyone know people that are like criers? I mean, they don't, not that they cry once in a while, but they're, they're criers, right? You know? So my mom's whole philosophy of life was when in doubt, cry. You know, and so if something went wrong, you know, or she was under a lot of pressure, she would cry, you know, but if something was going good, she would cry. If I did something I wasn't supposed to, she would cry. If I did something she was proud of, she would cry. You know, if, if, uh, you know, there were more dishes in the sink than there used to be, she would cry. If there were no dishes in the sink, then she wouldn't cry. You know, her response to everything was cry, you know, and I had to introduce my friends and say, your mom cries a lot. I'm like, yeah, I know. Let's just go. Let's just, you know, she's crying. And so one day she finally said to me, listen, after I get done crying, I feel better. I'm like, oh, oh, that's a part of how God has built you. When you mourn, when you let it out, when you cry, there's a pressure release in you. And it's not just emotional, it's spiritual. It's important. In fact, we know this in other areas. You know, you get the silent treatment. What happens when the silent treatment's over and you actually talk it out? You feel better. Right? You know, which I don't know why we do silent treatment, but we do. And then, you know, we have to go through the pain because we don't learn well. And so God has designed this so that he can work healing in us. And that we all need this. In fact, I, I would say that everyone needs a safe place to fall apart. To just fall apart, to, to lose the, the whole thing in there. And I don't know about you, I, I, uh, I am a typical Western man, and, you know, I'm like, I'm tough. And I thought I was tough through almost everything until I shared with you about my sister passing away. And the first time I ever really fell apart and lost it completely was at her funeral. Before the funeral, we, we went down there, and, and I went to see her body. They, her husband and kids didn't want to do that. They had seen plenty of the sickness. And so I went, and, and I remember I walked up, and... And I looked down the coffin, and there's my sister. And I cried. And I just stood there and prayed, and then I just kind of stood there and watched her. And I, I, I really honestly thought maybe five or seven minutes had gone by, and I kind of came out of it after thinking about all the childhood memories and all of those sorts of things and calling out to God and 
telling God he wasn't doing a very good job of being God and I was mad at him and I finally came around and I looked around. My wife was sitting there. I thought, when did, when did she go sit there? And there were p- other people that had come in and I'd been there for a long time. I just, I just lost it. I lost track of time. I lost track of everything. I just fell apart in that moment. My sister was gone. That's a good time to fall apart. If there's a reason, that, that's it. And everybody needs a person and a place. Everybody needs a safe place to fall apart. To tell God you're not happy with him. To confess the struggles. I confessed that, Lord, I wasn't ready. We were supposed to have time together, and we, we didn't. And so I grieved the loss of what was supposed to be, as well as the loss of, of my, my sister. And I am persuaded today that um, the church, the people, the church is called by God to be a safe place. Let me say that again, because a bunch of you should have said amen. The church is called to be a safe place. A place where you can confess the stuff from the past, where you can deal with all of those things that have gone on in our lives. And and even with those things that we're uncomfortable with, maybe especially with those things that we're uncomfortable with, amen? Yeah, you know I'm going to go there, right? It's just, it's easy to hear somebody's confession that's like yours, right? Somebody's confession that's simple and and not too bad. But when we get to that really hard stuff, boy, that's hard for us. And I'm always reminded that Jesus washed Judas's feet. Man, I wish we could learn from that. I wish the church of Jesus Christ could be like that. That we could, we could show compassion and love and grace and forgiveness and understanding to people that, that we think, wow, how could they do that? I, I, I'm going to do something again. I'm going to give up preaching and go to meddling for just a minute here. What if someone shared with you their grief over their same-sex attraction? That one for evangelicals. We get so concerned about making sure they understand that, you know, God didn't. And when we do that, we lose the opportunity to minister to them and to love them. I See, I don't think God calls us in that moment to tell them. In fact, in my experience, almost everybody knows what the evangelical church thinks. There's, you're not going to spread any good news. But you can be Jesus to them. To wrap your arms around them and love them and accept them and say, Jesus loves you. Jesus cares about you. Jesus is for you and I love you and we care about you and we are for you. Would somebody please say amen in there? We got so hung up on that. A safe place. Most people that struggle with that will not share in their church community because it's not a safe place. They'll get a lecture somewhere in there. Maybe they'll get the lecture first. Maybe they'll get the hug and then they'll get the lecture. But there'll be a lecture in there and there'll be judgment in there. Or let me give you another one. What if they come and confess to you that um, they had an abortion? You know, the church is not a safe place for women who've had abortions because they know if they confess, there'll be judgment. They know there, there may be a lecture in there. There'll be a look. There'll be... Jesus accepted the woman caught in adultery. He accepted people caught in all kinds of crazy stuff and he just loved them. Okay, more you should have said amen. And he just loved them. That's what God intended for the body of Christ, that that we be that kind of of people. Here's a quote from Billy Graham that I I just, Romans here, we're instructed to be a safe place. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Amen? 
It doesn't say, tell them what they did wrong, then weep with them. It says, weep with those that, that, that weep. And then this quote from Billy Graham. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and my job to love. I love this quote. And sometimes when I share it with people, people say, well, you know, you got to tell them what they're doing wrong so we can win them to Jesus. I'm pretty sure that's the Holy Spirit's job. And there can be nobody that cared more about winning souls than Dr. Billy Graham, amen? And, and that, was, that was his, that is what we need to be. We need a place that, 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 that love like Jesus do, does. I, I wish this described the church. But you know that the perception of outsiders is that we are judgmental? And honestly, it's an accurate description. I hope it's not an accurate description about us, but it is an accurate description about the church. And, and, and honestly, as someone that's as insider as insider gets in churches, there are a whole ton of us on the inside that don't feel safe confessing what's going on in our life, what we're grieving about. And when we do that, we cut them off and us off from the grace and mercy of Christ that comes in mourning and lament and confession. Do you see why this is so important in our lives? And so I want to, just in the moments that we have here, to um, kind of reintroduce the spiritual discipline of, of lament in our lives. The, the first way we can do that is uh, just listen, don't judge. Just listen, don't judge. Okay, let's say it together. Just listen, don't judge. Turn to your neighbor and say, just listen, don't judge. Now, don't give them advice unless they ask for it, okay? And then give them advice of grace and love and mercy and, and, and make them walk away loving. Making them walk away from you feeling like they had walked away from Jesus, like they encountered him. And then number two, practice empathy. You know, the difference between sympathy and empathy, sympathy is I feel sorry for you. Empathy is I put myself in your shoes and I go, wow, if that were me. This is why that your suffering is the key that unlocks the door for others because they know you understand what it is like to be like that, to be in, in that place. Oh, oh, that we could have a place in our church where people who struggle with same-sex attraction could to be together and love one another and be accepted in that place. Where women who've had abortion could, could connect with one another and experience empathy and, and share with one another. Somebody say amen in here. Because we are called to minister. Practice, practice empathy. And then um, don't be put off by strong emotions. Real grief results in real emotions. And sometimes that makes us uncomfortable. And if that makes you uncomfortable and God has sent someone like that to you, congratulations, God's given you something to work on. Praise be to God, you know, help you with all of that, okay? And then um, let them tell God off. I know, I know some people are uncomfortable with this. And I regularly encourage people to express their anger to God. And, and, and here's why. Because I believe with all of my heart um, that God is your loving parent. You see, in our tradition, we believe the primary way you understand God is as parent, as love. We believe that's the foundation of what God is, is, is all, all about. And um, you may remember this kind of thing with your children. I remember it with, with one of ours that was a little more emotional, uh, where, where great unhappiness would come into her life for some reason because we were having to disappoint her. You know, when they're about like three, you know, no, you can't go outside in the snow. <laughs> you think the world is falling apart, right? Or the, the word no came into their life in some way, shape, or form. And, and I remember her just like, ah. she gets that from her mom. No. 
She doesn't. That's not where that came from. <laughs> Glad you laughed or I've been in a lot of trouble. <laughs> and they get angry and they say things. And even, even they say, I hate you. Any of you heard your kids say, I hate you? Yeah, more than once. <laughs> and we won't go past that. <laughs> and, and they just go. And, you know, the temptation is, and there was an older parenting style that was like, stop talking to me like that. Be respectful. And you kind of get on them about all of that. But we learned something in parenting after a while. And that was, we just let her go off. You know, and it just, yeah, because she was genuinely hurt and angry. And it would go off, and it would go off, and it would go off. And finally, she would come to the end of that. And then she would run and grasp us, and the tears would flow. The word for comfort in our passage means to come alongside, literally. And it is that image that, that when you get done blasting God and you get done yelling at God and telling him what a bad job he's done and all finally that emotional energy is spent that you open up your arms and you run into the loving arms of your father that cares for you, that gave his life in Jesus for you and you just let go and cry and you weep. You remember Jesus in the garden where he went through that awful moment. He sweat blood. He, he, if there's any plan anyway else after this, at the very end of that, he said what? Not my will, but thine be done. If our musicians could come, there is at the end of grief a place of total surrender to God. But we have to go through the grief first. And if you are suffering, I guarantee you there are things that you need to grieve through, that you need to articulate, that you need to find a safe place to fall apart with. Because when we get past all of that, at the end of the grief, there is Jesus going, my child, come, come. I understand what you're struggling with. I understand what's going on. And in that final moment, we can say, Holy Spirit, have your way with me. I trust God, not because I think he's going to answer the way I want him to answer. I hope he answers the way he answers. But when I work through the grief of having cancer and realizing that my life might be significantly shortened by this, there came a place where I just said, Father, I just need you. I just need to let you have it. We're going to sing, and our ushers are going to come in just a minute, but we're going to sing a song that I find really, really powerful. It's, it's by Leland, and it's Holy Spirit, have your way with me. It's, um, it's, it's, it just, it's testimonial. And uh, I, if you know the words and you want to sing along, I would encourage you to sing along. But, but maybe you just want to listen to the words and listen to Carrie and the, the band sing. It's really powerful. And if you need to grieve, would you just grieve? Just cry. It's okay. Won't bother me. You can't cry nearly as much as my mom did. And if you need to come and pray, you can come and pray. But I hope somewhere, either at the end of this song or at the middle of this song or when you go home today or someplace, you will find a place where you're just done yelling at God and it's time to hug and let the Holy Spirit have his way, whether it's what you want or not. Amen. Amen. Father God, I pray now that you, would, um, that you would speak to those that need to mourn. Lord, we are affected by loss. We live in a fallen world and it hurts and it's painful and we get angry and we blast you. And I'm so thankful that, that you just wait for us to cry it out and yell it out and then you embrace us and love us and we can come back to not our will but your will be done. That we can say, Holy Spirit, have your way. 
And so I pray, Father, for each of us that you would have your way this morning, that you would rule and reign in this place and that you would embrace us again as we grieve and lament with the firm knowledge that not even death gets the final word. You do. And we ask this in the name of our resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said,